Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Um, okay. Welcome back to Talking Knicks. Today, the Knicks clinched to being the best team ever, a.k.a. the fourth seed with home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs, and we're ready to celebrate. I'm here with Tom Pickle and my brother, Ken. Hey, guys. Let's talk Knicks. All right. We had a good week in Knicks basketball. We had four games this week. Since our last pod, we played the Lakers, the Spurs, the Hornets, and the Celtics. We, we started the week with a loss. We needed the... We needed to beat the Lakers to clinch the playoff spots, so we were we were up late waiting for that. It has been a, a little bit since 2013, since our last playoff appearance. We were waiting for for that. Unfortunately, we we end up seeing Wes Matthews with a tip in, and then a sub 30 percent tip in to tie it and send it into overtime, and then a tip, uh, three pointer by Taylor Horton Tucker, a sub 30 percent three point shooter to to delay our, our destiny as, the, as a playoff-bound team. A little bit of an anticlimactic celebration this week as we clinch our playoff spot because the Celtics end up losing to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Shout-out to Kevin Love with the primo game. Hmm. Uh, then, I mean, then from there, you know, we're all happy we're going to the playoffs. But with, with Tibbs, that's not enough. There's a... There's a there's a range we could be four to six. Turns out the the Heat lose a game yesterday to the Bucks, and that leaves the door wide open for us to grab the four seed. So the Knicks win their last three games, two in overtime against the Spurs, who were winning by 17 at one point. Knicks came back and won that one. The Hornets, Knicks had a big lead, blew that one, won that one in overtime, and then today against against the Celtics, we. Uh, we played their their third string team. They sat their top seven guys. We blew another big lead, and we uh, we won by four. But it doesn't matter how it happens. It matters that it happened, and we are now the four seed. Kenny, how are you feeling? Uh, I feel good. I mean, I think we talked about it a couple uh, podcasts ago uh, when we were projecting our potential um, the teams that we'd like to play. Obviously, just getting into the playoffs was our goal, and we did that, so I was pumped. Um, but I think we kind of agreed that just the experience differential between the, the Hawks and the other teams that we could have potentially played, um, that the Hawks would, would be the, the preferable matchup. And now I'm not saying that's an easy matchup, just because, like we saw a few weeks ago, they kind of dominated the Knicks on the boards. But uh, it's a matchup that we can win. So I'm excited to be here, and I'm excited to have that opportunity to just watch some New York Knicks basketball in the playoffs. Yeah, we did not anticipate that coming into the season, as we will soon discuss. But, Tom, how are you feeling? Yeah, man, I, I think it is worth saying, like, we will eventually get to the, the Hawks matchup and do a preview. I think we have that planned for later on in the week. But this is going to all just be a straight-up celebration of the regular season 
of, of making the playoffs for the first time in years, like you said, Greg, and I mean, certainly the first time since talking Knicks has seen the playoffs. And you said the word anticlimactic, and you were right in terms of like the process that it took for us to get there. But I think we can just throw all of that out the window. This is just – this is an incredible time to be a Knicks fan. I, am, I honestly cannot believe that this happened. We're, I know we're going to go through kind of some of our own preseason predictions as well as some of the preseason predictions of uh, major sports media outlets. I mean, we were kind of – we were relatively in line with a lot of them in that we didn't see this coming in any way, shape, or form. Um, I mean, some of the stuff we were saying about Julius Randle was just completely out of pocket looking back on it. And, look, I, I just – having watched so many games – I tweeted this earlier in the week that, like, in 2015, I was writing blogs about Aaron Aflalo's fit on the Knicks. Like, I, we've been doing this for a long time. We've been watching a lot of games, dissecting a lot of games. I mean, certainly our fandom goes back before that, but just, like, the real analysis part – it's a lot of hours poured into watching this team, and it is so satisfying to finally see some payoff, to actually make it to the playoffs, have games matter at the end of the season. I, I just can't wait, man. I, I cannot wait for, for next week in the playoffs to start. Yeah, and I think that we said at the end of last week's pod that I think that this is officially our first postseason Talking Knicks episode where the Knicks are still playing basketball. So that's exciting. We're breaking new ground. This- yeah, we've been doing this since 2017, so it's been a, it's been a journey, and here we are. Started from the bottom, now we're here. A month from now, we're going to be saying this is our first NBA Finals <laughs> Knicks podcast. Knicks. I love it. I love it. That's and to awesome. be to be fair to Greg, because you said that you know none of us saw this. Greg says every year that he's he's expecting the Knicks to win a championship, and this year might be the year. I was looking through our texts, and Greg did give three different predictions as far as record, and his first one was 72-0. and 0, So, I mean, when you look at the schedule the first time through, you say, where's the loss? It always happens. It's like Kenny, Kenny turned that – when the Knicks went on their nine-game winning streak at the end of the season, Kenny predicted winning out. I think there was like about ten games left. We don't want to be – we're not going to predict this team losing. And that's how I, you have to feel at the beginning of each year. And that's so different from years past because like when we hit this point at the end of last season and the seasons before that, you were kind of hoping they were lo- losing in order to up their draft stats or uh, draft pick, but sometimes it didn't happen. Yeah, now with this front office, we're hoping that they, they win so they get a worse draft pick so that they get a guy like Quickly. Yeah, they, they clearly seem to thrive with those later picks, right? Yeah. Instead of uh, some other guys who have become um, garbage time. Players. I mean, that being said, Greg, like Obi Toppin has looked very good recently. And oh, I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about it as we do kind of the big picture of this past season, the ups and downs of, of his season and, you know, kind of the roller coaster ride that was Obi Toppin in his rookie year. Uh, but – I don't know, guys. Like, where where do we start? There's so much to, so much to reflect on in this year. Like, I don't know. Do you want like, were there any turning points you think, or, um, just like anyone in particular you want to discuss as we as we dive into I mean, the past? I, I will start with one very very specific turning point. I don't remember where where and what our record was at the time of it happening, but 
when we were playing the Raptors and the refs just decided to take three points away from them, <laughs> that changed our season. Yeah, that was a wild play because uh, someone had stepped on uh, the sideline and then hit a three. And then several minutes later, they checked it and they took those points off the board. But yeah, that was uh, – I forgot about that. That was good stuff. So that was game two of the – of the nine game winning streak. The Knicks are 26 and 27 at that point in time. Um, and then the rest is history that they go 500 with that win. And now we're, we're, what are we? 11 Ten games, games over 10 games was... over 41 and 31. You're right. Yep. And Good. so kind of <laughs> coinciding with that, cause Greg said it was the, the second game of that nine game winning streak. I think that, that winning streak and, you know, the subsequent – the end of the season from the start of that winning streak to the end of the season was so big because going into that, we were kind of middling. I think we just – we had just lost two or three in a row, and we were wondering what was going to happen. And we saw the end of the season where we played the, the Nuggets, the two L.A. teams, and uh, Phoenix. And, you know, we had that coming up, and, you know, we were – not doing great uh, and we were potentially if we didn't do well in that stretch we were saying they could fall out but you know we among ourselves we talked about it and said that they needed to do well in that 14 game stretch in order to do anything and then they went nine and out to start that and I think they ended up uh, 12 and two or uh, 11 and three or something in that stretch which is very good and that kind of carried them through the season and it's carrying them still now where they're still, you know, playing winning basketball heading into the playoffs, which is very exciting. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much impossible to talk about this season or reflect on the season without, without thinking about that nine game winning streak. And it really was the turning point. That's the easy answer. And that's, it's the right one. Like we had just lost five of our previous six going into that. And a lot of those were like heartbreaking losses, close ones, there was that Timberwolves loss where Anthony Edwards said afterwards that they wanted R.J. Barrett to take the last shot. There was that Brooklyn Nets loss in Brooklyn where we lost by two. And I remember just there being some, some questionable officiating at the end of that one as well. And then the Boston Celtics loss, that, that was the, the last game before our streak. And then we lost that one as well by two points. So there was just a lot of one-possession games that came down to the last – uh, last few seconds and we, we lost a bunch of them in a row. So there, it was a, a huge turning point in the season when we beat the Grizzlies in overtime, RJ Barrett had that massive layup to send the game into overtime um, over John Morant. And that just kicked off all that momentum. And uh, yeah, like that, I think that, that you're right. I mean, if you're going to think about other kind of turning points in the season, I'm, I'm trying to think of like when Julius Randle cemented his status as it no longer being a fluke that he was having a career year, that he was a legitimate three point threat, that he was actually making his teammates better. I feel like, you know, it took a lot of convincing from us after his previous season that this wasn't just a flash in the pan, that he wasn't just kind of coming out and having a hot streak do you guys remember when you finally realized like, Oh shit, like Julius Randall is for real. I don't know if there was a specific instance. I feel like uh, the beginning of the season, like I didn't really have that feeling. And then it was gradual. And then once we got towards the all-star break, when it's like, all right, this guy's an all-star, I'm going to, I'm going to fully stand him until he's in the all-star game. I think that's kind of when my 
you know, trigger switched and I was fully on board. But I, before that, I don't really know. Like it was, I think it was a gradual progression until until that point when the all-star vo- voting started. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'll, I'll throw one, one more t- turning point out there. The, uh, the added Pistons game right before the all-star break that allowed us to, to go into the all-star, all-star break over 500, which was that's just huge just mentally for, for the fans and for the Knicks, I'm sure. And so I think that's, that's probably when, uh, when Randall became an all-star and we all – it was pre-all-star break that we decided he was the greatest player ever. But now that I'm thinking about it, we're only one game above 500 then. So it's it all comes back to that nine-game winning streak. That really changed everything, especially when you finish the season 10 games over 500 and you had a nine-game winning streak. That's – that's all of it right there. That's, that's, that those, that's almost all of the, all of the games above, above 500 that you are. So. Yeah. Like the rest of the season, you're playing 500 ball and then there's that stretch. Yeah, exactly. So I think my, my three times are that Pistons game that let, let us go into the, the all-star break over 500, the nine game winning streak, and then the three and three West coast stretch to end it, which was basically right after the nine-game winning streak. So, I mean, just – I mean, that was death row. We were playing, like, four of the top teams in the the West. The, the thing the Knicks did down the stretch was they just beat the teams that they had to beat. Like, everyone behind them in the standings, the Knicks were going to beat. Like, the Grizzlies, they're a good team, but the Knicks are better, so they beat them, you know? Yeah, and that's – that's such a difference from, from years past where, you know, any given game is a loss. This season, it, and Jake tweeted it at some point where they were losing some game uh, going into the second half or going into the fourth quarter, and he, he tweeted, it's so crazy to think that I know that the Knicks are going to win this game because, like, that's just their identity this year is they're a much better team and they're, they haven't been playing well and they're going to step it up and won that game. I remember what game that is, but, like, that's kind of how this season has been where – they're winning games that you're expecting them to win, which is so much better than losing. So much better. Yeah, I remember the game where I felt like Julius Randle, I mean, this is probably later on in the season than, than maybe you'd expect, but it was, it was a game at home versus Atlanta in February. This was, I don't know if it was his high score for the year, but like, I mean, it's funny that we bring up Atlanta because it's the team we'll be facing in the first round, but he played 41 minutes <laughs> in the game. He finished with 44 points, nine boards, five assists, and he shot 14 of 22 from the field, seven of 13 from three. And it was just a game that kind of separate. It was it was the third win in a row. We'd just beaten the the Wizards, who were really struggling at that point, and the Rockets. So it was two bad teams. Atlanta was the first kind of good team that we were facing after having dropped two in a row to the heat. So it was just, it was a crucial game for just kind of for our identity and Randall showed up and, and he dominated. And I think like, again, we will get to the, the playoff preview later on in the week, but I think that is kind of the model for how I think the, the Knicks can beat the Hawks is there's just not a good matchup for Julius Randall on that Hawks squad. Like John Collins, isn't the answer. I don't know if they really have one, you know, they've got guys like Clint Capella at the rim who can keep Randall from getting to the rim, but so much of Randall's 
value this season was just it was in the mid range. It was from three, and and I I think that he can really continue that in the playoffs and make a difference there. Yeah, and if I can throw out um, while we're talking about Julius Randle, another potential um, you know turning point for Julius Randle and turning point for the season was when um, he started the season with the braids and then he took him out. And then when he put him back in, that was both a turning point for him and for the Knicks. Cause it feels like from there, from that point on, he was just on. I mean, no yeah, joke. Like, he's superstitious, I guess. And he, that there was a, a good reason he put him back in and it seemed to work for him. Yeah. The numbers back that up. We don't have them, but, but they do. Um, I think that brings us into our preseason predictions. I believe the the over under Las Vegas was given was twenty two and a half. I believe um, we, amongst ourselves, made our own predictions. I think me and BBD went with uh, twenty two twenty two wins, which is under the twenty two and a half. Tom and Kenny can speak for themselves on their predictions. I can't believe Kenny predicted twenty eight as the high water mark for for the pod. Tom, what were you thinking? I predicted 26 wins, and I thought that was very sensible. And I was like, when, when Kenny guessed 28, I was like, no way. <laughs> no, no chance. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> I mean, little did we know. <laughs> I'll say that I think that I got my prediction um, based on what they did under Mike Miller last year. I took Mike Miller's winning percentage and multiplied it by 72 games. And whatever that came out to, I think I, I rounded up. Uh, so I, I figured that Fisdale was a real problem last year and this team was better than that. And if they performed as good as they did under Mike Miller, they would be a better team. Um, and that's all I remember about that. I mean, we just, we didn't realize how much of a problem Fisdale was. Like we really undersold that because like Mike Miller, he's, he's, not a professional coach in the league right now. I, I mean, there's probably a reason he wasn't hired. Maybe he will be in the future at some point. I think we liked him in comparison to what we saw with Fisdale. But, I mean, what just a night and day difference Thibodeau has brought. Like, just the <laughs> – that, that's been the story of the season. Like, if you want to talk about stories of the season, it is Julius Randle's transformation into an all-NBA caliber player. It's R.J. Barrett's transformation into a 40% three-point shooter – as well as improving his all-around game. And then it's, it's the culture. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's that word. It's, it's the culture. It's the perception of the Knicks. And that all starts with just kind of that, that attitude, that work ethic that Thibodeau demands from his players and everyone bought in. Like, you, use the, you hear that term all the time, the buy-in from players was there. It's just you really can't overstate what Thibodeau did with this team, and it would shock me if he didn't win – coach of the year. I know a lot of people think that maybe um, the head coach over there in Phoenix, um, Monty Williams Williams deserves it. And uh, you know, I I won't quibble with it, but just (laughs) given, you know, the predictions that we just said and the predictions we're about to say from major media outlets compared to being the having home court (laughs) in the first round of the playoffs, that leap to me is, is far outweighs whatever happened in Phoenix. Yeah. Kenny, you got you got the 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 numbers from these major media outlets. I don't know if you want to hit us with them. Yeah, I got then, some some numbers and your criticisms. 
Yeah, I got some numbers and some some highlights into into what they say. Uh, ESPN first off in their uh, their preseason predicted their average win total was twenty four point seven. Knicks were over that. Their playoff percentage was two percent. So they gave them a chance. Uh, and then the little write up. Uh, I think the the one major highlighted they weren't they weren't all that negative in the write up, but they did say Nerlens Noel is the lone New York newcomer projected better than league average, and he plays the same position as the team's best rated player, Mitchell Robinson. And uh, we talked about it before the podcast that Mitchell Robinson was the only guy listed on ESPN's top 100. And he missed the majority of this season. And the Knicks are a four seed in the playoffs. So he played, he played 31 games. So he missed 41. And when he played, it's not like he was the best player or even, you know, I wouldn't say he, Mitch had a complicated season, right? Like he definitely made strides in, his managing his foul trouble. He, he didn't really have any problems there, but I don't think he kind of improved on the ball in any way. Right. We were kind of hoping he was able to, to pass a little bit more. I'd say like he's a monster roller and pick and rolls, but he doesn't have that ability to kind of hit guys in the opposite corner on the, on the short roll. That's, that's one thing that Taj Gibson just does so well. You see him, catch the ball at the free throw line and look opposite and hit the wide open corner three point shooter. Mitch, I don't think has ever done that in his career. And I think that would just be such a weapon for him, but you know, that's just area for improvement for him. Um, I don't know. We could touch on Mitch real quick. Did you guys have much of a, a feeling as far as like being, I don't want to say disappointed, but just maybe underwhelmed by his, by his year. I mean, it's hard to say just because he was injured for so long and then like he was injured for a while and he came back for just, it was just the one game and he got re-injured. And so it's hard to say because like most of our winning came in that, that nine game stretch, like Greg said, and he wasn't in for that. And so it's hard to say what he could have done. Uh, but that's largely what we're judging this team on was how they finished the season. So I don't have much to say on Mitch. Um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens this offseason um, with him and with how well Nerlens Noel played and how well Taj Gibson played. Um, but, you know, he's he's still potentially uh, could make the roster for the, the playoffs. They said that he's, you know, back on the court practicing. He's yet to um, step into full contact. Uh, but they haven't ruled him out for the playoffs. So we can still see him. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I should make it clear. I do think that Mitch would be a huge help on this team come playoff time. Like the the centers that we have, Nerlens and, and Taj, Nerlens is just so skinny. You know, granted, he, he's a good shot blocker, but he also just jumps at everything um, and gets himself out of positions for rebounds. I know that the team rebounds much worse when Nerlens is on the floor. And Taj, you know, he's better fundamentally, but he's just too small for some of these these bigger centers. I know that I think that Clint Capella could be an issue. Um, and, and Mitch is just, he's a behemoth. He's so tall. He's a lot thicker and sturdier than Nerlens. And I don't know if you guys saw, but he put, he posted on his Instagram to his story that he, he stepped on the scale and weighed like 274 pounds or something like that. So he had gained some serious weight. I'm, ex- I'm assuming he wouldn't post that unless it were muscle. I don't think you, I don't think you post that like you gained 30 pounds. Yeah, I think I think the caption said something about the weight room. So. Yeah, so that's encouraging, man. Like, uh, uh, I, I think he came into the season listed at like 240, and so the team listed at just over 270. Um, 
I mean, that he has the frame for it. He's always had those broad shoulders, and he's still growing. So, I mean, that, that could be a, a game changer if he's able to come back in the playoffs. I just think my whole point is, like, this is our guy who is, you know, projected to be the best player on the team or the, the only guy in the top 100, and he wasn't even – he wasn't that. You know what I mean? Like, and, and the team still managed to outperform expectations to that level. Yep. So that's ESPN saying 24.7 wins. Mitchell Robinson's your best player. We proved that very much wrong. Next. Uh, next up was CBS Sports, which did an over-under for every team. Over-under for the Knicks was 22.5. They took the over. Um, they were actually, you know, kind of complimentary of, of Tibbs. They ended by saying, regardless of injuries and turnovers, Tibbs has never led a bottom five team in terms of record. So that was positive. But their one um, folly, I'll say, is the, the following quote which is Obi Toppin might already be better than Julius Randle, which did not play out this season. So they took the over on 22 and a half wins, and then they uh, said some questionable things. Yeah, and I mean, we have to – we've admitted it already, but we were just like all New York Knicks fans coming into this season trying to get Julius Randle to not be in our, on our team any longer. I – multiple times last season and this season was trying to get him traded for Gorgie Jang, who was ultimately just bought out by the the Grizzlies and signed by the Spurs. So that's where I was at with with my, my Julius Randle. Just get him out of here so we can save, like, the $4 million he's guaranteed next season. That's 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 where we were at. It is just crazy <laughs> how – much can change in one season. I mean, really even half a season given where we were at the all-star break with, with our Julius Randall love, but it's just, it makes you wonder like what could, what could be that earth shattering to happen next season? You know what I mean? Like Alfred Payton becomes an all-star. That's like borderline what it would have to be or not even an all-star, like a sixth man of the year type player. Yeah, it can't really be understated how negative we were towards Julius Randle after last season. <laughs> I called him the biggest disappointment on the team. Like, And there was a lot of talk about Beyblades and his um, poor spin moves that led to turnovers. And I think, I mean, part of that is none of us had ever watched him play. And we saw his stats from New Orleans and we're like, all right, he might have something. And then he came in and he shot like, what was it, 28% from three and just turned the ball over constantly. And uh, he just wasn't very good. And then he came in this, this season as a completely different player. So um, became a much better playmaker, a much better shooter, a much better defender, which uh, I don't think it's talked about enough just because, you know, he's doing everything else so well. And it's, it's hard to, you know, um, judge someone based on their, their one-on-one defense because there's not a lot of stats to back it up. But he has – definitely stepped stepped up in that area and it's just such a difference um so while i i did make fun of cbs sports for that that comment um i will say that none of us were very high on julius randall going into the season and i believe uh, i don't i don't know who the other people are but today julius randall clinched having a a 24 10 and 6 season and so his passing ability along with his shooting were, were the two biggest things um, I think Kenny said his previous career high was 3.6 assists, and he he almost doubled that. So 
It's just an incredible turnaround in one season. I think on Twitter said uh, only like three other players who ever had 24, 10, and 6 seasons was like Oscar Robertson. Um, I think I have the list here. So six players – yeah, six players have finished a season with 24-plus points, 10-plus rebounds, six-plus assists, and that's Oscar Robertson, Wilt Chamberlain, Larry Bird, Russell Westbrook, Nikolai Jokic, which might have been this year, and Julius yep. Randle. Yep. And Nikolai Jokic is probably going to win the MVP this year with that stat line. So a bunch of Hall of Famers and the probable MVP for this season and Julius Randle. Yeah, Jokic is the only other guy to do it this season. Um and like you said, he's he's by far the favorite to an MVP. So, and, and Kenny, you mentioned his, his individual one-on-one defense, which has been very strong in isolations. Like no one's really no one's looking for switches to get Julius Randle switch onto them. He's been so impressive moving his feet, but just his his ability to play team defense too. Like the whole Knicks squad has just bought in to, and, and everyone's just kind of on a string, like you watch it and they, everyone's helping each other. Everyone's trusting each other to, to have the, the other guy, like have their back. And it is just, it's wild to see. And it's, it's jarring when it doesn't happen because it's just been so consistent this year. So like the fact that Randall has been able to be a part of one of the best defenses in the league is, is even more testament to, to that side of the ball. Yep. So Julius Randall, Clinch being the, the greatest player ever. It's, it's great turnaround. Love love that guy. Give him the max. We want him around for four more years, five more years, four more years in addition to the one already. That's a discussion to be had later. But, Kenny, who's, who's next on our list of, of wrong people? Next up is the ringer. And this, is, this, is, this wasn't a preseason uh, post. This was a power rankings about um, maybe after the first week. Um, and so this says that the Knicks had the Knicks ranked 30th. The caption is New York is the tanking capital of the NBA, but it actually, their write-up wasn't all that negative. Um, so despite having, um, the, despite having that, you know, the 30th rank in the, the tanking capital of the NBA, they did say, you know, they're not the process. It says the Knicks aren't the process Sixers. It's not that these players straight up stink and they're still focused they are still focusing on development. Uh, and then it talks about, you know, RJ Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, Kevin Knox, Frank Nalakina developing. So uh, only one of those things really happened this year. Um, but, you know, the other thing that happened is the Knicks weren't the worst team in the NBA as, as predicted after the first week. Yeah. And I, I, I tweeted this today that before the season we were thinking – are the Knicks good enough to be the fourth worst team in the NBA? Uh, in my head, I think we were talking about, I think we're better than the Pistons, but we'll see if Blake Griffin is, still has anything left in the tank. Uh, I think we're better than the Thunder now that they traded all their players. Uh, then the, I think it was like the Bulls and Cavaliers were, were, we were around there. I mean, we thought Zach Levine was better than, Julius Randle. I mean, he still made me. Jack Levine had an amazing year as well. Um, but the rest of the team, you know. So it was like Thunder, Pistons, Cavs. We were, we were like in that, in that group. Like who has a better star player? Like is Colin Sexton and Kevin Love 
enough to be better than than the Julius Randle that we we hated uh, coming into this season? Is Blake Griffin enough to be better than him? Is um, Shea Gilgis Alexander going to take a big enough leap to be better than him already? And I mean, the the turnaround to be in fourth in in the in the East and I, I don't know like tenth in the NBA around there is. It's incredible. Yeah, and I think, like you said, the big thing was that we were not high on Julius Randle, so we had no idea, you know, who was going to be scoring the points, who was going to be doing anything, really. Uh, We were hoping that we would get a big jump from R.J. Barrett, but I don't think there was the expectation that Julius Randle would be the player that he is. In fact, I can say with absolute confidence that no one expected Julius Randle to be the player that he is. I don't even know that I expected him to be, you know, a positive player. Uh, so again, he has been the story of the season along with, you know, the, the improvement from, uh, from RJ Barrett. And um, while, while we're on the topic of kind of improvements throughout the season, uh, one benefit that the Knicks had that none of these, um, these, you know, outlets had was knowing or was eventually getting Derek Rose and, uh, so that was a big pickup midseason that, um, you know, these teams didn't have or these um, media outlets didn't have knowledge of yet. But even then, when we got him, you know, he wasn't he wasn't the player that he is now. Um, like he had a great season, not a great season, but a solid season. I think it was last year for the Pistons uh, when he was on the Knicks previously. It did not go well. Um, but then he came in and Tibbs again you know, worked his magic and he has been a vital part of the Knicks down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, Derrick Rose, I don't know what the record has been. I want to say the record's been 24-11 and 11 with Derrick Rose on the team. I mean, he's he's been unbelievable. And I don't know how much of that is, like, in comparison to our current starting point guard. Like, when he comes in, it's just, like, you know, a benefit to, to not have Alfred Payton in. Um Look, Peyton's had a really rough end of the season. Like, I think his confidence in the shot, he took a few shots today where he, I, he had a floater that wasn't even close. It was wide left, and he just hung his head as soon as he bricked it and just kind of jogged back on defense with his head hung low. And it's like, this guy doesn't look like he even wants to be out there right now. And given his, his drastically decreased role, he hasn't played fourth quarter, many fourth quarter minutes at all in the last quarter of the season, like it just, it doesn't seem like the coach has much confidence in him despite continuing to trot him out there in the first and third quarters when it seems like we dig ourselves holes time after time. So, I mean, like Derek Rose's plus minus numbers definitely benefit from playing opposite Alfred Payton, but in general, just the offense looks so much more under control with him it also has a quicker pace. He just – he knows how to, to run offense. He knows how to attack defenses, how to create advantages, how to beat his guy off the dribble and actually look for his teammates. Like that's not – like Alfred Payton does get into the paint, but he'll often like turn the ball over or he will launch these these shots. He gets his shot blocked more than nearly anyone in the NBA. Um, and Derrick Rose just has a lot more craft and just – point guard's intuition of knowing when to find guys and and who to, who to look for. Yeah. And I mean, 
we've talked a lot at length about uh, the potential of not having um, they're having Derek Rose start instead of coming off the bench. Um, I kind of at this point I'm in on him be, coming off the bench just because he has such great chemistry with Taj Gibson and he, he's um, also really helped Obi Toppin along and we've seen so much improvement from him. So I like his chemistry with the bench guys, but I also don't know if, you know, that's a product of, you know, he's just a better player than Alfred Payton or, you know, whoever, whoever else is playing in that position. So um, I'm fine with him coming off the bench uh, for now, but in the, you know, the question is whether, you know, you slip, Alec Burks or someone who's not an, a natural point guard into that starting spot, or maybe even Emmanuel quickly, but that's, we can save that for the, the pre-playoff pod. I mean, look, Frank's, uh, I was just, I was going to bring up Frank in a second, but it's just, you know, Peyton gets six minutes. It seems like he gets like six minutes each half, right? That's kind of what he's averaging. And if you really put in Frank Nielakina for those minutes, and had RJ and Randall running the offense and Reggie Bullock, who we haven't really talked about yet, but has been just massive for our team and for our spacing and for just our general movement on offense. Um, Just kind of with those weapons, like uh, granted Frank hasn't been like all that potent on offense, but it's been small samples and he's actually shooting the ball well on, on catch and shoot attempts. So like, I would rather see Frank out there to start games and just have him kind of stationed in the corners on offense to try and hit open corner threes and just play good defense. Cause Alfred Payton hasn't been bringing the defensive intensity. And it's funny that, you know, come, come crunch time, we always see Frank inserted into the lineup to get stops. Like that's Thibodeau obviously has confidence in Frank to do that. So like giving Frank six minutes at the beginning of the first and third quarters to me, is is a more beneficial thing for our for our team than having Alfred Payton in there. Yeah, certainly, and I, I'm, I'm. I don't think have... Frank should get more minutes. Like I don't, I don't think Frank has been good enough to get more minutes in that. But to give Frank to say ten minutes a game in lieu of Alfred Payton minutes, I just think it's a such a low bar. Yeah, like I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna have some thoughts on that, and I think I might have had some thoughts on you know Frank Nilakina minutes uh, last podcast, but uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna tease them for the the pre the pre postseason podcast. So I'm I'm gonna leave it there, and uh, move on yeah. to the next and most uh, Wait, egregious. One second. One, oh. one second. One second. So I just wanted to say to illustrate how much Alfred's role has diminished. So on this season, Alfred averaged. 10.3 points per game. He His high in the last 15 games is 10 points, which he'd scored once. So that's impressive that he still ended up averaging 10.3 without scoring over 10 in the last 15 games of the season that I mean, he dude, did to, play in. To begin the season, his usage was so high. Like, he was getting as many shots. His shots per minute were at least as high as RJ's. He was just getting them up. And his assists, I mean, on the season, he averaged three assists per game. Like, he just wasn't really looking for teammates very much, which was kind of in contrast to last season where at least it felt like he would pass the ball and and pass the ball, like, in areas where shooters could catch and and get up good looks. This year, his his targets have been all off. Like, something's been wrong with him this year. So, um, yeah, I hate ragging on Peyton. I don't know. Like, I kind of want to talk more about Bullock at some point just because like he averages 
six three-point attempts per game. He's hit 41% this season. And these are not easy threes. These are not just – I may have said this last week, but it's just like he's not just stationed in the corner hitting stationary threes. He's running all around screens. He's hitting him in transition. Um, he's, he's coming off picks, like coming off curl screens. He, he's throwing pump fakes and then doing his one dribble pull up in the, in the mid range. He's just a straight up offensive weapon at this point. And there are a lot of times when our offense relies heavily on Bullock shooting. Um, so I, I don't know that again, not something we saw last year. He, he really struggled. He maybe even had a career low in three point shooting last year. And so to see him come out this year and just be a flamethrower from behind the arc was just another, you know, surprise, another delightful surprise in a season of delightful surprises. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about Reggie the last couple games. Um, and I, I think last week with the Lakers game, he had that, uh, I think it was 23 or 24 games streak where he had more than uh, two threes made per game um, broken. And then in the following games, you know, he hit he had two in the next game against the Spurs, and then he hit five against uh, Charlotte, and then he started today. What was it, four of four from three or something like that? So you know, even even after having one off game, he still got back into it. And you know, we talked earlier about how that that nine game stretch was so important, and then the the subsequent games to end the season. And he throughout that entire time period, he was launching threes and making a lot of them. So I completely agree that he has been a huge part of the Knicks uh, success this season and particularly at the end of the season. Yeah. Love that guy. And not just the threes, like he consistently guards the other team's best wing player, right? Like RJ, you know, you kind of expect him to get that role because I think he's a lot stronger than Bullock, but that hasn't been the case. Like RJ has kind of been used as more of a help defender and kind of stationed on the, the other team's lesser wing player. And Reggie Bullock has drawn that assignment of, of the other team's best, best wing, unless it's like such a giant wing that he can't contest, can't compete like, like Kawhi Leonard. But for the most part, it has been Bullock's assignment. So that's even more impressive. Yeah. And not, not including today's game, because it's not on basketball reference yet, but from the beginning of that nine game streak or that nine game uh, winning streak to the end of the season, um, before today, he was averaging, uh, he was shooting 41.7% from three on 7.6 attempts in the last 19 games, uh, which includes that streak and, and the end of the season. So that's big. You know, that's, that's, he made 3.2 threes a game. That's, that's nine, nine or 10 points right there. That's a high volume of threes, man. That is, that's great. And it's just, it's a team that we came into the season being like, they don't have any shooters. There's no spacing like RJ Barrett's going there's, there's no one there to kind of open up the floor for him. And little do we know that the Knicks would be one of the best three point shooting teams in the league because of Bullock, because of Randall's improvement, because of Barrett's improvement. I mean, everyone's hitting from behind the arc. So, um, I mean, Quickly, I imagine we'll get to him, maybe not today, but probably in the, in the preseason preview because uh, – or in the, in the postseason preview, that's a mouthful. But, um, like, quickly he's kind of been struggling lately. I, I feel like his confidence has been a little bit off. He's been getting good looks from three and hasn't really been converting in the last few games. So I am definitely keeping an eye out for him because he's a, he's a big part of our offense too and the ability to stretch the floor and attack as well. So um, 
I don't know, guys. Like, do we have some other outlets that we wanted to uh, to make fun I of? I think I think we had one last and least. Yeah, left, the, right? the the last one is the most egregious by far of any of them, uh, and that's Bleacher Report. And uh, they did a pre preseason predictions on win totals and um, and playoff percentage, and they predicted the Knicks to win to go thirteen and fifty nine. And this is just flat out kind of offensive because the the Vegas over under was twenty one and a half so or twenty two and a half so they went out of their way to go well under that with their prediction of thirteen wins, and the second worst team they had slated were uh, was the Charlotte Hornets and uh, Minnesota Timberwolves they slated at twenty one wins, so they had the Knicks eight games under that and then they doubled down in the write up saying. I may have been kind in projecting the Knicks to win 13 games. And, That's crazy. Uh, yeah, because like the to go that hard against Vegas, like, and then to double down, like, it's just it's a it's it's you know people people like to make fun of the Knicks, and so I think it's our turn now that the tables have turned to just go back at them and just say, "Man, you are a dummy." Yeah, that guy was just making. St- Stuff up. He was trying to, he was skip Baylissing out there, if you will. And uh, it works. He's probably pumped we're talking about him right now. Except He's I didn't mention his name because of that. Yeah, I'll do it. No. <laughs> uh, uh, no, but like legitimately, I think, I think you're right. I think it's easy to make fun of the Knicks and, you know, it's to get people riled up and to talk about it. Cause I don't think there's any world where you looked at the, you know, the Charlotte Hornets and the Minnesota Timberwolves and said, those teams are eight games better than the New York Knicks. I just don't see it. Well, you I mean, know? you could, the, the, the Hornets brought in Gordon Hayward and then the Timberwolves had, you know, the first pick and they brought in D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns. So we thought about, maybe I mean, they would finally put it together and they didn't. How about Cleveland Cavaliers? Ten games better than the Knicks. Yeah, that one. That one was just that. I don't. I can't, I can't defend them anymore. I mean, you just you underestimate how important it is for a team to just play really hard every game and to you know limit mistakes and to just like play together. It's just like yeah. It, I think it's most noticeable maybe one of the more noticeable areas for me is when the Knicks close out on threes like they just sprint out at threes and sometimes it leads to them you know jumping at pump fakes and and getting fouls I know Clyde goes crazy every time the Knicks foul a three-point shooter but it is indicative of just how hard they get out on shooters and it's not something that's the norm in the NBA in the regular season like a lot of teams will live with an open three every once in a while, but that's not how the Knicks roll. Like they go all out Their Their rotations are just, I, I mentioned it before, but they're just so perfect. Like it's textbook defense, the way the Knicks play. And it is something I never would have expected to say after last season. Yeah. And Tom, you and I are defense guys. And I had a very similar you know thing to say, just because like you said, they go hard on the three pointer and then, after the guy goes, after the defender goes by, um, you know, potentially on a pump fake, you think, oh, now they're going to have this opportunity. But the rotations are there, and the guy, the guy who went by the shooter um, on the contest, 
he sprints over to the guy who who's he, he's recovering on. So like it's usually two guys over. So there'll be two guys. There'll be one guy rotating onto the onto the shooter to step up, and then replacing him. And then uh, the original defender will end up on the the third guy. So that I mean I to explain on a podcast, but I think you get what I'm saying. Um, oh yeah, it's, it's all the the second efforts, and I think yeah. that's what Thibs calls them. And it's just like you, you're right. Like even when a guy is ostensibly out of the play, he doesn't act that way. Like he gets back, and his teammates trust that he'll get back. And it's it really is an awesome thing to watch. And I I've never enjoyed watching defense more than I have this year because the Knicks just do it better than anyone. And, and you hear that from opponents too, right? Like even the, some of the guys on the Timberwolves were saying that, I think it was Anthony Edwards actually was, was complimenting the Knicks defense. Chris Paul, we talked about it uh, on last week's pod, just the, the glowing things he had to say about how the Knicks play, like every game's a playoff game. And, you know, that could be a, a detrimental thing in some ways, if you really think that there isn't another gear, because we know that teams do ratchet it up in the playoffs. You know that the, the Knicks preparation is going to be there and you just have to believe that there's also going to be that, that extra gear for effort for being locked in and, and being focused and, and hopefully taking the performance to a next level. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned it, but there is something to be said about just playing hard every single night. And um, it reminded me a little bit of, the Celtics in, in year two of Brad Stevens' rebuild pulled up their roster. They went 40 and 42 that year. Their, their leading scorers were Isaiah Thomas and Jeff Green. Isaiah Thomas had traded for midseason. He played 21 games, averaged 19 points. Jeff Green played 33 games, averaged 17.6. So, I mean, the guys who were really playing were Avery Bradley, Jared Solinger, Brandon Bass, Kelly Olenek, Tyler Zeller, Evan Turner, Jake Crowder. Just like a bunch of not people that should go 40 and 42. But if you play hard every night, um, which Tibbs makes the guys do, and maybe there's something to be said about the, the minutes he had his guys playing down this stretch, but it got them the four seed and there's this new play-in format where we're going to get about a week off to, to recover if he, if he doesn't make him practice too hard. But hmm. we'll see what happens. The Knicks just played hard every single game. Uh, there was no no give up in them. Like I said, even in this last week of the season, they were down 17 to the Spurs, and they just came back and won that one. So do what you got to do to win. And that uh, other teams are going to be looking to to, tur- to flip the switch in the playoffs, but the Knicks have already had the flip switched, switch flipped all season long. So we're, we're ready. Yeah. And if I can just say one more thing on this Bleacher Report article, um, playoff probability, like I don't think that the author understands what like probability means because he just, he just wrote 0% and like in no world is it 0%. Like if, if you go to ESPN or someone, the ESPN had the Knicks at 2%. They had uh, the lowest one they had was Oklahoma City and they had them as less than 1%. But at no point is there ever a 0%. And so this guy... I just don't know what he's doing. Don't know. Yeah, we, we ever see this guy, it's on site. <laughs> yeah, 0% makes no sense at all. There'd be no reason to even play. But, uh, yeah, no, message received. He was, trying to, he was trying to make a point. Point came across. was completely wrong. So, 
Yeah. I don't know, guys. Like, I'm sure that in the midweek pod, we're going to discuss kind of some of the the deficiencies that the Knicks had, like some maybe some concerns that we have coming going into the playoffs. But I think this podcast was just a celebration. Like, it was just looking back on the year that we just had, a year that none of us could have seen coming, and uh, and really just enjoying it. This is this is fun. I don't know. I, there are definitely some some concerns, like some offensive stagnation, maybe some over reliance on Julius Randle. Like, we're, we'll talk about that in the next podcast. But that's not what this is for. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there were definitely some some uh, some worries to be had in that last victory we had over the the Hawks after Trey Young got injured. Um, little teaser. We were 3-0 three, three against the Hawks this season. I don't know that we ever played them at, at full strength. I know Gallinari missed the first and third games. DeAndre Hunter missed that second game. Trey Young got injured at the end of that third game. But we'll, we'll see them. I think all those guys are technically healthy now. DeAndre Hunter just came back. I don't know how, how, how game-ready he is or what he's been up to in these last couple games to, to refresh. But We'll have some some hard hitting analysis before that series. I think we we may try to pop out a a, a pod every every game every game to recap for our, our listeners because we're going to be watching these games intensely as as fans, not just as as podcasters. So I don't know if there's anything else to be said. I don't I don't think we need to talk about what else is on because there's nothing else on other than other than New York Knicks as far as I'm concerned. Unless you guys have unless you guys want to talk about what else is on, then you know I'm down. I believe it's a time. I mean I'm I I thought I thought you ended it well because we just made the playoffs and I just don't know that there's there's a need to to bring other stuff into it right now. Yeah. And I'll I'll this is how I'll end it. We originally suggested talking about what else is on because of how bad we thought the Knicks were going to be and the pain we've had over these last few years where at the end of the season we were watching games only to watch Mitchell Robinson dunk the ball for like the last two seasons. That was the end of the season. What we were looking for was Mitchell Robinson. And this season, you know, that we didn't need to, to talk about what else is on because the Knicks exceeded our expectations and they, they satisfied our, our viewing pleasures so yeah i mean we we still did talk about what else is on because we like talking about television but it wasn't necessary it was just it was additional it was additive it was uh it was not instead of talking about the knicks which is what it was originally planned for and it will be back next year um nothing else than for just pure um i don't want to change anything you know (laughs) entertainment so, I mean, I think, I think we nailed this one. We had a great, great week by the Knicks. We've clinched the playoffs. Uh, Knicks Twitter was, was going off that night. I know I saw it was into anticlimactic, but Knicks Twitter was live after the Celtics loss. And then, you know, we clinched our, our home court today. And what a week by the Knicks. We will be back with the, the series preview pretty soon. We'll, we'll watch some tape. See the matchup, look at some numbers, and we'll get back to. But in the meantime, we're all we're all celebrating over here. Go Knicks. Love it. Let's go Knicks. Knicks take.